Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. Amen. Alright, well we're going to be back in Romans chapter 8 today. And we're going to get to verse 14 is where we're going to be. We're going to finish that up and try to move through verse 17 today. But remember the book of Romans, really the key verse in the whole book of Romans is over in chapter 1 and he says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the Bible tells us we're saved by faith through grace. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So the first three chapters, he really covered the fact that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then when he gets to chapter four, he begins to tell us that Abraham was saved by faith and also David, right? The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, but you know what? David did a lot of bad things, didn't he? A lot of wrong things. And so even though he was a great and mighty man, they wanted to, God wanted to let us know that David was saved by faith too, no matter all the things he'd done. Chapter 5 begins to tell us because we have salvation that we have peace with God. And that what Adam lost, Christ gave so much more And he says so much more, much more, much more over and over again. Chapter 6 said, we're dead to sin but alive to Christ. And he says, reckon yourselves dead to Christ, dead to sin but alive to Christ. And present your members not as members of unrighteousness to sin, but uh, as members of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. And then when we get to chapter 7, Paul begins to tell us that we're free from the law, but that doesn't mean that we don't still live that way. It just means the fact that when before we're saved, we don't want to keep the law, right? We don't want to do what's right. But after we get saved, we begin to want to do what's right. That's what one of the marks of salvation we'll talk about again today, that that God gives us a new want to. He gives us a new hope, a new future, a new master in heaven. No longer sin here on earth. And he gives us a new ability and power to live for Jesus Christ. And because on our own we know that we can't do it. Because in chapter 7 Paul says, I find within me no good thing. Nothing. He says, I don't find anything good inside of me. He said, the things I want to do, I can't do them. But the things that I don't want to do, I do those. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And that's when we began to launch in this chapter, great chapter 8, really the keystone of the whole book. And one man said if this was, if the whole book of Romans was a diamond ring, that this was the crowning jewel of the whole ring, chapter 8. And we've been in it a while, we've been in it a while longer because this is one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. It is the greatest chapter, I believe, in the whole Bible. And he begins saying, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, he says that term, in Christ Jesus, about 160 times, Paul does. And he does that because there's only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are in Christ that are going to heaven 
and those who have never trusted Christ who are headed to hell. And he says, those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer condemned. In other words, there's nothing anybody can do. Later on, he's going to say, who shall bring a charge to God's elect? He said, nobody. <laughs> because Christ is the one who says that, that you've been set free because you've trusted in him. Remember when Christ died on the cross, it was a substitutionary atonement. It was a substitutionary death. He died in our place. He took our sins. And because of that, when we cry out and say, Lord Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. I can't make it on my own. The Bible said God forgives us and saves us. And then he one day is going to take us to heaven. But he begins to work on us the rest of our life and make us more and more like him. He talks about how the, what the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh that Jesus was sent to die on the cross in our place, right? And he says to be carnally minded is death, but to live for Christ is life and peace. In other words, we have abundant life and we have joy and we have peace with God. And he says in verse 8 that even so those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But he talks about having a spirit of Christ that if we have the Holy Spirit, then we know that we're gods, right? And this is kind of the whole crux of chapter 8 because in the first seven chapters, he only mentions the Holy Spirit one time. But in this one chapter, he's going to mention the power of the Holy Spirit 18 different times. And the reason he does that is to let us know that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit can we, that we can live the Christian life. People have been afraid to teach the Holy, about the Holy Spirit because some people get too far in it and kind of go off the deep end. And then some people, they're afraid of it, so they won't teach about the Holy Spirit at all. But the Holy Spirit is God, right? He's part of, he's part of the Trinity. He is a person. He's part of the three-in-one God. And he is the one who comes and dwells inside of us. Verse 9 says, he says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The Bible says the moment we trust Christ, the moment we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So one day he's coming back to get us again and the Holy Spirit's like a wedding ring, an engagement ring. And he says one day he's coming back to get us and he's going to take us to that marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he says, if we have the Spirit... Then one day he's going to raise us from the dead. And then he says in verse 13, If you live according to flesh, you will die, but by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. In other words, if we're truly Christians, we're going to want to become more and more like Christ. We're going to put aside sin. We're going to live for God. And then he, this is kind of where we finished last time when we spent a little time here on verse 14 talking about illumination. He says, for as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In other words, he says, the people who are led, that God leads you. We uh, turned on the song when we first uh, came in here. Some of y'all heard it. It says, God leads his dear children along, right? And what does God do? He leads us. He guides us. He directs us. You remember in the Old Testament how God threw the fire by night and the cloud by day what did he do he led the people through the wilderness right and that's a picture of what he does in the new testament 
Because what does he do? He leads us through his word, through prayer, through reading the word and asking God to lead us and guide us and direct us. He illumines the word. That's why this is a living book. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and active and alive and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword that divides to the joints and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We can be reading this book and when God, when we're ready to receive something, to learn something from God and we're, he's ready to show it to us, all of a sudden we look on the page and we're reading. We might have read this thing a hundred times as one verse and all of a sudden it opens up to us and God shows us something new. And it's amazing how God can speak through his word. That's what we call illumination. That God has given us 66 books of the Bible and he didn't give us a 67th. He didn't give us a he didn't give us any less, but this is all he gave us. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And you know what he did? He says between the word of God and the spirit that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's what 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 says, that we've been made partakers of the divine nature. That means he's given us the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we have everything we need for life and godliness. So he opens up the word of God to us and he enables us to read this and all of a sudden it just speaks to our heart i remember one time i was thinking about hiring another guy and people kept giving me all this worldly advice you know i was reading and all of a sudden i stopped it i think it was chapter six of joshua and god said i felt like god said marty you need to read another chapter and i was like ah, i'm ready to get up and go do what i need to do and it's like you need to read another chapter and this urging just kept going felt like i needed to read another chapter so I read Joshua, I think it's like it says, number chapter seven, I don't know exactly what chapter, but it's where the Joshua, where God tells him to step out into the water, right? And what does he do? He tells them to step out in the water, then what does he do? He parks the water after they step out in the water, right? He doesn't park the water until they step into the water. And I believe that's what God was telling me because people kept telling me, well, you got to do this and you got to do this and all these worldly ways of, hiring somebody to work with me for the ministry but remember we live by faith right that's what the bible says basically what god spoke to me that day and he says marty you step out in the water you step out and hire this guy and then i'll take care of the finances i'm going to park the water right and that's what he said and that's what he did and he's been taking care of us ever since then the first way he does that is illumination and then the second way is really sanctification. And the second way is really what we call becoming more and more like God. That word sanctification means to be set apart. It means to become more and more like God. In other words, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, before we were saved, now I know all of us didn't get down the road, but we looked you know, you look at people and how bad and how sinful some people are, right? But by the grace of God, that could have been any of us because any of us are capable of that. But once Jesus Christ comes into our life and we're asking to forgive us and save us, he puts the Holy Spirit in us and he puts a new want to, a new desire, a new ability and a new power to live for God. And when he does, what do we do? God puts his finger on a thing in our life. We say, Marty, 
you need to quit being so negative. Marty, you need to quit doing this. Marty, you need to quit doing that. And we go, yes, Lord. We start putting that sin away. But that's how God does it. That's what we call sanctification. He, he, he normally does it, and he does it through the Word of God. I, that's the reason so many of these books that Paul wrote, he teaches us who we are. Then he says, now this is how you're to behave, right? And then what you did is that when you were a parent, it was like a lot of times, I don't know if they do it so much anymore, but they, you know, daddy say, well, now Marty, now you're a McKenzie, and you represent the McKenzie's. Now I want you to behave and, and honor us. Don't you go out and embarrass me, right? And then what we used to tell our kids, I don't know if they tell it that anymore. I don't think so, the way they behave. <laughs> but, but, you know, he said, now you're a McKenzie. Now you go out and represent us and you go act like a McKenzie, right? You go, don't shame us, don't embarrass us. Go uphold the McKenzie name. Well, that's what God says. He says, you're a Christian now. I want you to go uphold the Christian name to be Christ-like. I want you to be like me. He said, he left us in this world, right? Let your light so shine that others may see your good works and do what? Glorify our Father who's in heaven, right? So the reason he leaves us here is to tell others about Jesus, to lead others to Christ, and to become more like him to prepare us for heaven. What does he do? He he puts in our heart. He says, you know, we need to quit doing this. We need to start doing that. And he puts all these new desires in our heart. And he start, stirs our heart and he stirs our will. And he prompts us. So the psalmist in the Psalm 119 verse 35 says, Order my steps in your word and let not anyone's sin have dominion over me. And so the cry is, not that I just understand, but God, make me do this, make me live this way. Order my path. Make me go in the path. Don't just show me the path, but make me go in the path. I often pray stuff like that, Lord, don't let me get out of your will. Keep me in the center of your, center of your will, right? We are led by the Spirit of God, and when we live according to His will, and we let Him lead us, then... We know that we're the children of God, right? That's one of the ways we know that we're a child of God is because we have the Spirit speaking to us and He leads us and He guides us. But think about this, that if we're truly saved, we, could fo we, we follow, but you know what? All of us could do better, right? <laughs> None of us are perfect. That's why Paul, even the great apostle Paul, who, when he wrote the book of Philippians, I don't know how long he was saved when he wrote the book of Romans, but when he wrote the book of Philippians, he said, I have not arrived, I'm not perfected, I have not made it, I have not yet grasped it, I'm not yet mature, I'm, but I keep on heading towards the prize, towards the goal, towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm giving it everything I got, right? I still hadn't made it. And if the great apostle Paul, who I believe was the greatest Christian who ever lived, hadn't made it, I think we're all probably not going to make it either, right? Because God uses man mildly to write 13 books in the New Testament. And so that word to be led by the Spirit literally means to be continually led. That God leads us and guides us and He prompts us and He says, go this way and go that way. You know, I think it was at Ezekiel, I think he, he was over there and 
He wanted God to speak and he said he wasn't in the mountain and the thunder and the earthquake. But he said there was a still small voice. And that's how God leads us a lot of times is through that still small voice. As we read his word and as we pray and he says, all right, you need to do this instead of that. And that's how he leads us. It's a way of life. It's a constant thing. Galatians 5, 16 says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So the Bible says we can quench the spirit. In other words, we can stop him from doing what he wants to do in our work, in our life. And we can also grieve him by sinning and doing wrong things. So first we're led by the spirit. And then secondly, he says we're freed by the spirit because he says those that are Led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. But what does it say in verse 15? He says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. What does that mean? It's one of the greatest sections in this part of Scripture, chapter 8. But he begins to talk about you did not receive again the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption. And what is he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that that we don't have to be afraid and we've been adopted by Jesus Christ. It's a spirit of fear, but you know, the world has that spirit of fear and we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but let's talk for a second about the adoption. But he says, you receive not a spirit of fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba Father, where that's really where we cry out Daddy Father, a Papa Father. And that's the most intimate term that we use only for one person, right? Or we used to use for one person. And he says the word adoption. And think about this, that in the Old Testament, in the old days, that in the Roman culture, that Adopting somebody was a long, difficult process. Guess what? It is today still too. I just don't understand why they make it so hard and why it's so expensive. But we'll talk more about this a little bit. We'll mention these things again. But all debts were canceled when you got adopted. If you were a criminal, all charges were dropped. You could not legally put, be put to death by your new father. Did you know what? That the Roman father, he had the right to do anything he wanted to with his family. He could kill his wife. He could kill his kids. He could do anything he wanted to. He could kill his kids. But this adopted kid, he could not kill him. He could not kill him. And they could not be disinherited. He could disinherit his real family, but he couldn't disinherit the one that was adopted. So once they were adopted, they permanently officially and permanently became the heir. It was also used officially of a, cer- of a ce- of ceremony of a boy becoming a man. It was held on March 17th each year. And so one of the greatest stories of adoption really is found in 2 Samuel 9. And I don't know if y'all remember that story. You remember the story of David and, and how great uh, his love was for his his for Saul's son and they they loved each other and they it wasn't anything it was just a friendship love right and he and he loved Saul's son so great that 
later on when he became king, what did he want to do? He wanted to show some kind of kindness to the family of Saul because of Saul's son's sake. And so what did he do? He adopted this guy named Mephibosheth. Now remember Mephibosheth, he was one of the guys when David took over the throne, they kind of ran and, and some of the people, and somehow or another he got crippled. And what did David do? David took the initiative and he went in and he says, is there anybody in Saul's family that I could show kindness to? And what did he do? He adopted this Mephibosheth. And he took the initiative to do that. You know what? The Lord takes the initiative to do that, to save us, right? The Bible says that we love him because what? He first loved us, right? And then second of all, he showed mercy to one who was unworthy, one who had descended from an evil enemy. And you know what the Bible says? That we're the children of the devil, but before we're the children of Christ. And you know what? We're not worthy of being saved. But God loves us and he seeks us out and he saves those who will come to him. And then thirdly, he was motivated by love. Like I said, it was for Jonathan, for Saul's son, Jonathan. And he was motivated by love for Saul's son, Jonathan. But you know what? God was motivated by the love of for Christ and he redeemed us for Christ's sake. So... Also, David desired to show kindness. And in Ephesians 2, 6, it says that we've been saved in order that God may show us eternal kindness. And then fifthly, David chose one who was outside the standard of perfection. And you know what? That's all of us, right? God chose us who was outside the standard of perfection. I don't know if you realize that when you read your Old Testament, all these people's names, they don't, they're not, there's no mistakes in the names. There's always a reason for names of places, names of people, and all the things that happen, right? One of the things that's true about that is this word, this name of this guy, Mephibosheth, it means shameful thing. And he lived in Lodabar, which means a barren land. In other words, he was a nobody from nowhere. And you know what? And that's just the kind of people that God takes as his children, right? The Bible says that the widows and the orphans, and the, he didn't choose many mighty, but he chose what? The weak things of the world to confound the wise, right? And then the greatest part of it all is what did David do? He also brought him to his own table and fed him as one of his own, right? Whenever he was eaten and when all of his the people he supplied with food that were part of his family and, and servants, he brought Mephibosheth to that table too. And you know what? The Lord brings us to his table every day and lets us partake of his goodness and his daily food, but he also gave him an inheritance. And you know what happens one day? The Bible says because we are the bride of Christ, one day God's coming back to get us and he's going to take us to heaven. And you know what he's going to give us? He's going to give us an inheritance. And, in with, and he's also going to take us to something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know if y'all have all heard of that or not. But the marriage supper of the Lamb is a, a period of time for those who know Christ. One day he comes back. And if we're still alive, the Bible says we rise to meet him in the air. Those who are dead in Christ... The souls of those who are dead are going to rise up out of the grave and they're going to meet Christ in the air. 
and those who actually uh, are still alive, we're going to raise up in our our earthly bodies, and we're going to go and be with him, and then uh, he's going to he's going to uh, allow us to be part of what he does for a thousand years, and what he calls a millennial kingdom. But what he's going to have is this thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's going to be this great feast. And it's a picture of what they did in the Old Testament when the bridegroom came to get the bride. She didn't know when he was coming to get her, but one day he just he'd announce he was coming. He'd come get her, and then they'd go and they would they would be married, and then they'd go to this marriage supper, and they would feast and have a good time. And they would actually feast for about a week. I don't know how long. That's going to happen in heaven. But he says that he's going to make us his children. And he does it because he loves us. You know, that's the neat thing about salvation is none of us deserve us. None of us can earn it. None of us can do anything to get it. But what does he do? He adopts us as his children, right? He gives us the spirit of adoption. We've been made children of God. We who are unworthy have been brought in as sons. When he talks about the spirit adoption here, he's not really so much talking about the actual transaction, but about the feeling of belonging. You know, that's one of the greatest things that I love about being a Christian. One man said it like this, that you can call on God anytime and you never get a busy signal. You know, when you're truly a Christian, what does God do? He's always there for you, right? He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He's always with you. And he does, you don't have to worry about whether he's going to be mad with you. And he's, he's, not a hum, he's not like us humans that we do something and then he gets mad with us and then he won't have anything to do with us. That's the neat thing about adoption because when he adopts us, it's permanent, right? It's secure. It's forever. And it can never be dissolved. That, that's what's cool about this whole chapter. One of the other things it does is it affirms that our eternal security. That if we've truly been saved, then guess what? The Bible says in, over here in about 831, he said, if God be for us, who can be against us, right? And he says a little bit later, verse 38, I think it is, says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, right? He, he loves us, and he, we can cry out and say, Daddy, Father. And we have this intimate relationship with him, and we feel like you know, we, we can rush in the arms of God, and we can say, God, I'm hurting. God, I need you. God, be there for me, and he's always there for us, right? I mean, that's the greatest thing about being a Christian. And he, and he says here that, that he's not giving us a spirit, uh, spirit of bondage again to fear. Because see, the world, they put those things on the back of their truck and they put no fear. And I tell, tell guys sometimes, I said, if you're not afraid of something, you're just stupid. <laughs> There's something wrong with you if you're not afraid of some things. Hebrews 10 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of the living God. And a lot of people, it says in Hebrews 2.15, it talks about that people who all their life are in fear of death. They're in bondage of the fear of death. And you know, people are afraid to die if they don't know the Lord. They get afraid to die. But we who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, 
We don't have to be afraid to die. We don't have to be afraid that the worst that the world can throw at us, guess what? This is as bad as it'll ever get. But for those that don't know Christ, this is as good as it's ever going to get. I tell folks, you know, that if you could imagine the best thing that could ever happen to you and multiply that by a bazillion, gazillion times, that's what heaven's going to be like. You know, we can't even imagine how great heaven's going to be. But you could also take the reverse and say, imagine the worst thing that could ever happen here on earth to you and multiply it by infinity, and that's how bad hell's going to be. That's why we don't want to be there. Let's just, why don't we come back and finish this next week, and we'll talk a little bit more about this adoption and finish up this section because this is just so much here in this adoption. But just think about this. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that, that we become his children. We become his kids. And we can cry out, Daddy, Father. And just jump in the arms of Jesus and say, I'm hurting, I'm tired, I'm whatever. I need somebody. i put it this way. All of us are going to let all of us somewhere along the line are going to let other people down, right? I don't care if they're your family or who you are. There's nobody in this world that's not at some point in time going to let you down. And that's just a fact because we're just people. We're not perfect. But you know what? God will never let us down. He's always there for us. He never fails. He never, he never is not there for us. So let's close with that today and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about this adoption next week and try to get through verses 16 and 17. Kind of got carried away with that adoption. But see, God loves us so much that he picked us out, right? He chose us and he says, I love you. And then when we cry out and say, God, forgive me and God, save me. We become his children. That's a wonderful thing to know that somebody loves you and they will never ever leave you, never ever forsake you. Well, let's pray and we'll close and we'll sing one more song. Father, we just thank you for this time. Thank you again that you did love us so much that you gave your only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Father, there's one here that doesn't know you today. I just pray that they would cry out and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. And you would hear their cry and you would answer because you said whoever calls on your name shall be saved if they believe that Jesus is God. He died in their place. He died for their sins. There's nothing they can do to earn it, to deserve it, to pay for it. But as the old song says, Jesus paid it all. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we sing that one to close out then? Number 77, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washes me white as snow. I'm 
Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to the Lexington, Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.